All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff. Joe Rust is off for this weekend's Money Wise program, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 703 points, or 2.1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 99 points, or 2.4%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 340 points, or 2.8%. For the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 11.4%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 15.6%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 24.5%. Sounding a little more somber for this weekend show, Jeff, giving those numbers. <clears throat> I mean, you know, we always talk about the, the, the attack of the Fridays. In this instance, we actually had a very nice Friday going into the weekend. A little bit of a reprieve from this past week of selling. Well, you know, one of the things I was I talked about last week was we have the CPI and the PPI numbers. Consumer and the price CPI index, cons- and the and the producer price producer index price. Uh, was coming out in, in the week just passed. And one of the things that I was concerned about last week is if the CPI number did not come down enough that it wasn't going to really excite the markets and there was a higher probability that the markets would probably react negatively to the number. So the CPI number was slightly cooler in terms of the year over year. I think it went from 8.3 to 8.1 year over year uh, inflation. Uh, The producer price index that came the following day was a little hotter than expected. Uh, in those those two days, the markets uh, definitely were not doing uh, very well, to say the least. Uh, we got, uh, you know, in our portfolios, we uh, reduced some allocations to stocks again. And right now in the portfolios, we're sitting uh, really about where we were uh, at, co- you know, in, in March of 2020 in terms of asset allocations to stocks. 
Uh, interest rates in the week just passed, and the 10-year Treasury did get up over 3% yield for a time and then cooled with uh, the big declines that we saw uh, Wednesday and Thursday in the markets. And there some, some money went into the longer end of the yield curve in bonds and yields uh, actually for the week uh, were down a little bit. But we closed uh, in the week uh, with the yield on the 10-year Treasury below 3%. 2.93 to be exact, close on Friday. There were some interesting comments from the Federal Reserve Chairman who was confirmed uh, officially last week by the Senate for, I think it's another is it a six-year term? Uh, I believe it's a four-year term. Four-year term. Or is, okay, no, I actually, t- I take that back. You are right. I believe it is a six-year term. Because he was brought in by the Trump administration, by President Trump, and then obviously we're kind of coming into the second year of uh, of Biden and right. his and his feckless administration, and that's an insult to the word feckless. Let me tell you. Now, the chairman, I think, it was uh, at a speech Thursday evening. He was giving a radio interview, I radio, think, on okay. NPR, and after the close on Thursday, after you know a, a brutal day on Thursday, and then he was talking in the interview that the Fed might have a tough time bringing the economy in for a soft landing, which everyone you know, on Wall Street is kind of wringing their hands because the Federal Reserve does not have a very high batting average when it comes to bringing the economy in for a soft landing. And so when he said that, I just said, oh, great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he said it after the market closed, and I was concerned going into Friday how that was going to be interpreted from the market by the market. And then when I saw the futures on Friday morning being as high as they were with the Dow up over 300, NASDAQ up over 100, I thought, okay, well, let me get a little bit deeper into his speech, into this interview. And so something else that he said in the interview is that he really took off the table the Fed raising interest rates by three quarters of 1% or 75 basis points, and that they were really just going to stick to their guns and be raising 50 basis points. And we've talked about this on past shows. Of, of the transparency that the Federal Reserve has provided compared to the days of Alan Greenspan where we were gauging the thickness of his briefcase going into the meetings, where the Fed now has very much telegraphed that they're raising a half of 1% in the next Fed meeting, a half of 1% the following meeting. And so they're going to be doing that as far as the eye can see until we start to see a more increased percentage of, of, of inflation coming down. And well, like Jeff was talking about with the consumer price index, you know, ticking down slightly, producer prices ticking down slightly, but nothing to get to where the producer prices go up just producer, a tad. Producer prices year over year was 11, 11%. I mean, that's, well, but those, those were some, those let's were some talk big about numbers. the core. Well, I, mean, I want to talk about, you, you said something about transparency when it comes to the Fed. So, Remember, these this, this is the same group of folks that was saying that they weren't going to be raising interest rates until 2023, and we we've all come to realize that that is not the case. This was the same group of people uh, that were going to raise rates in 2018. That that was the impetus for a 20 percent decline in the fourth quarter of 2018, only to turn right around and change their mind uh, a month later. Now. They had some room they could change their mind with inflation as low as it was. I don't think they have any room to – if they're going to change their mind at this point, uh, 
maybe 75 basis points might be off the table. Uh, but who's to say they can't, couldn't raise uh, interest rates, have an interim meeting raise? Who's to say they couldn't do that? Who's to say that at the end of the month, their, their infamous PCE number that they like to track at the Fed is much harder than expected. And next thing you know, we get a, a interim meeting raise that we haven't had since the 1990s. And I see we're coming up here to the end of the first segment. So I'll save it for the next segment. Okay, we'll stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, Take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys. You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, talking about the consumer price index and the producer price index, which came out last week. Um, going back to consumer price index, consumer price index came in uh, April up 0.3%. Now, if we go at the beginning of January, it was up 06 February up 0.8%, March up one2 and then his came in line in April of up 0.3%. So we have seen a decrease, but as Jeff said in the last segment, it wasn't a big enough decline to get the market too excited. And then we were talking about the producer price index. Now, the producer price index fell quite significantly because in March, producer price index was at 1.6. April's producer price index was 0.5. So that was a reduction of 1.1% month over month. But as Jeff rightly said, we're still and inflationary areas that we have not seen in more than 40 years. Now, the one thing, again, to go back to the consumer price index, one of the biggest contributing factors, which might not be a huge surprise to any of our listeners every time they go to the pump, is energy. And that could be laid squarely at the feet of the boneheaded, and I'm being very kind by saying boneheaded energy policy coming out of Washington. I'm being very kind, but we got to keep it clean. Got to keep it okay. as clean as, as we can. But okay. that, that is laid squarely at the feet of the horrendous energy policy from the Biden administration, period. So do, you like to ask me questions sometimes. So I'm just going to ask you a question. <laughs> uh, should I be scared? No, no, no. I'm not, it's, it, it's just something just to think about for a moment. Mm-hmm. And it kind it's kind of along the lines of when – when Ronald Reagan, I believe it was in his one of his uh, debates, I think it was his, when he, his first term as president, when he asked the question, are you better off than you were four years ago? And so the hmm. question that, I, that I'm going to ask kind of is along the same lines, and it goes back to what I've been saying on the past few shows that I thought a worst-case scenario for the market averages is we go back 
to the highs that we reached in February of 2020 prior to the co- the big COVID downturn that happened in March of 2020. And I have to, have to ask you, you know, pose this question to you and pose this question to our listeners. Is the economy, is the political situation, is the geopolitical situation better or worse than it was in February of 2020? Just think about all those things for a moment. Geopolitical, just domestic political, economic. And you can measure the economic comparisons any way you like, whether it's from inflation, whether it's how much housing prices have gone up, whether it's how much fuel prices have gone up. Uh, Just think about that for a second. And so are we better off economically? domestic politically or geopolitically than we were two years and three months ago. Before the pandemic. Before the pandemic. Before the heights of the pandemic in March. And if you say, well, no, I don't think we are. I think the domestic political situation is worse. The geopolitical situation certainly has to be worse. Yes. And economically, well, we know inflation is the highest in 40 years. So if you if you factor all those things together and you think about it for a second, if if we're not better off economically than we were 25 months ago, a little over two years ago, then how do we justify the valuations that we're at right now? How do we justify the S&P where it's at right now or the NASDAQ where it's at right now or the Dow where it's at right now if – the economic situation is worse than it was in 2020 because the Fed has told us they're going to keep raising rates until they stop raising rates. And nobody knows when that's going to be. You and I can debate this. We can debate this with a hundred analysts, how far they're going to have to go. When you, when you, you can't compare this to the COVID downturn in March. You can't compare this to what happened during the the financial crisis, and you can't compare this to the dot com decline because they're all, these those were all different. Those were all different. They had nothing to do with what we're in right now, which is in, we're in this high inflation environment and still historically low interest rates, though they have come up. And it, and it seems that they're going to have to keep raising interest rates until they finally stamp out inflation. And I don't mean to put words in your mouth, Kyle, but, but I'm, I know you're probably getting ready to say that the inflation that we're in right now is not 1970s inflation. It's a totally different animal. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it, it almost sounds like you're conflating inflation with economic performance in so far I mean, we're we're not expecting to see. You know, we we haven't had GDP growth like China five, six, seven percent. We don't have that. Typically, two to three percent GDP growth is kind of right in the wheelhouse. And so, you're assuming that just because we're in high inflation at this point in time, that was a direct the COVID COVID pandemic was a direct contributing factor to the inflation that we're feeling today. That means that the economy absolutely has to fall off of a cliff, but we can't forget 
that anyone who wants a job can go out and get a job. When you have 1.9 jobs available for anyone who's currently looking for a job, and granted, those jobs might not be paying six figures, but when I'm seeing signs of someone that working at Chick-fil-A making $19 an hour, we've seen wages inflate. Now, wage inflation has held pat for the last six months, so we're not seeing much more wage inflation, but we still have low unemployment. There's plenty of jobs available. In fact, we actually need more workers that are currently available to fill the available jobs. We still have a strong consumer, and I know you're going to go back to that statistic that states, well, the consumer's you know, debt servicing and their spending are up, which is primarily laid to the foot of rising home prices and mortgage costs. So the bottom line is, is the consumer is still strong and the consumer is still out there spending. Will inflation eventually whittle some of that away? Yes. But the question is, is the consumer going to get exhausted first before inflation comes at a more reasonable level? Or will it be the other way around that inflation will exhaust itself and the consumer is still able to withstand it? Because we know that there's trillions of dollars of cash sitting on the sidelines debt servicing costs or debt servicing costs from a monthly budgetary standpoint are at 30 year lows so that's really the $64,000 question i would say jeff is that can the consumer outlast the inflation well the the, the and the, we don't know and we don't know time will tell the $24,000 question because remember the same the same group of people that said that they weren't going to raise interest rates until 2023, also said that inflation was transitory, right? And so we've all learned that inflation is not transitory. It has been with a, it has been rising steadily. Year-over-year uh, year inflation has been rising steadily for now more than a year. We were at, we were year-over-year year inflation in February of 21 of 1.7%. And that has increased steadily since then, with the exception of some, <clears throat> a little bit of moderation in, in late summer of last year. We have steadily marched higher year over year. Yeah, we had a little blip in April. The April number was a little bit lower year over year. None of us know with any great certainty what's, <clears throat> what's happening for the rest of the year. But I don't think we're going to be at 2% inflation in December. No, and, and, history, I, and I agree with history you, does not History does not show that. And if, I agree with you. And, and I agree I'm with gonna, you there. And I'm going to put the big if out there. If we use the 1970s as a blueprint for how long it's going to take to tamp down inflation, we had inflation numbers greater than 7% a year, year after year after year after year in the 1970s. Now, are, is that what's getting ready to happen in the markets right now? No one truly knows. I think it's probably a low probability. I think there's some of what you're saying is right, that, that, that some of this inflation is COVID-induced. But, you know, we've been out of, we've been out of the shutdowns now for what, more than almost a year? We, we, we've been back in the office pretty much full time. Yeah, but it's but but again, supply chain constraints are still being affected by the boneheaded, no zero COVID policies coming out of China. 
Which is nothing. That's we can't do anything about that. I, I know. I know. That. We can't do anything about that. And I want to pick that up on the other side of the break. So right. let's take that break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing our recap of the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And, you know, Jeff, you asked a very interesting question in the last segment for all of our listeners to think prior to the COVID pandemic going back to February of 2020 before everything kind of really hit the fan with COVID. If you feel that the economy is as strong, if employment is as strong, if you feel that you're in a better place, you know, in, in just the grand scheme of your world, of your, of each listener's personal world before the pandemic. And that's, you know, definitely a thought inducing question. And, you know, when we started getting into the conversation about, you know, economic growth and inflation and, you know, my my big statement, you know, I would say my, my big point is, you know, can the consumer, because the consumer is still strong, corporate balance sheets are still strong, can the consumer outlast inflation that was induced primarily from supply chain constraints, the COVID pandemic, Right before we went to break, we were talking about how, you know, we're back to life as normal. I mean, obviously, in the state of Texas, we've been back to life as normal for well over a year. Now, other states in the union, it's a little different story depending upon which political party runs the state. But overall, the U.S. is getting back to business as usual, but we're still seeing supply chain constraints. And, you know, it's it's slow for folks to get back to work. And a lot of the, again, the free money that's been given out by the government, which in the very beginning of the pandemic was definitely needed. I think when the Biden administration started giving even more assistance, it was a little bit too much, which obviously added, I think, what we're going to look back in retrospect, added to the inflationary issues that we're facing today. But I think another big contributing factor, and I've been having this conversation with clients this past week, is the zero COVID policy going on in China. And I heard a very interesting interview Friday morning of a CNBC uh, commentator that lives in Beijing. And the question was asked, why is China, when they see the rest of the world, when they see the U.S. and the COVID policy that we've taken and the fact that we're kind of back to business as usual, why they are not adopting that policy, which is, again, contributing to the inflationary effects that we're seeing here in the U.S., and she said that the Chinese government doesn't want to adopt the the strategy of the West. They, they, they just don't want to seem like they're riding our coattails, which I find crazy because China takes our technology, reverse engineers it, takes all this stuff that we make and, and invent here, 
and then take it apart over there and use it and call it their own, which I find interesting. But they are not going to follow or ride our coattails with our COVID policy, which is obviously negatively impacting their economy. It's negatively impacting uh, our, tr- our, our supply chains. But they and can so, manipulate their economy much, this is much easier than, than, totally than agree. we can manipulate the economy, than, than but Western did, economies can be manipulated. So, But I, di- I did hear this this past week, though, is that Xi Jinping is finally starting to get pressure. He's starting to get pressure from the higher-ups in his, in, I guess, his political party that he might not be long to continue to be president of China because of the COVID policies and the negative effects it's had on the entire country from an economic standpoint. And so that was discussed this past week that I don't, he might not be long being president in China. I don't think there's, don't think there's any, uh, there's going to be any asset allocation or stock selection decisions based on who the president of China is. No, I understand. I think I we have that. to go back. We got to go back to the question you know, that I asked in the last segment is, you know how how does how do you feel economically that that uh, are we stronger are we weaker are we about the same than we were a little over two years ago and yeah this is to me inflation is the key because inflation is going to determine how much the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates and how much the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates is going to filter through the rest of the yield curve uh, on interest rates. And then all of those are going to then filter into the computation of value for stocks and what is fair value for stocks based on the riskless rate of return. This is what we learned in college. This is one of the ways that you determine value of a company. Yes, companies can get overvalued for uh, various other reasons, like their outlook for the future, their growth for the future, all sales, the, uh, some uh, other other factors, you know, estimates, you know, outlook. But we all know what happens when people get overzealous on the estimates. Well, that's the dot com era. This is not the dot com era. But what I'm saying is, is that remember, and I'm going to pull up the big cap tech names. And now, why do I pull up the big cap tech names? Because everybody talks about them, and they are, again, I, I was looking at some of those big cap tech mutual funds that we used to own that we sold last fall and Shazam guess what still of the top 5 holdings in their portfolios same old stocks they're holdlers and that you know, is that what the mean this, stock guys the same old stock. call it they yeah. got diamond hands they have yeah. diamond hands <laughs> so it, 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 apple in you know somewhere in the 20s pe in this market today and it was in the teens in February 2020, and sold for 19 sold for about 90 dollars a share. Now, if they take Fed funds rates up to three percent, can we still justify the valuation for that company in the 20s when it sold in the teens? When Fed funds rates in, in 2020 were nowhere near three, you know, three percent. This is the this is what's happening in the market right now. This is the reason why stocks are behaving this way. Because us and everyone else are trying to figure out what is the correct valuation for stocks in this environment, an environment 
that very few people that are still actually managing money have ever had to manage money in because we have not had inflation anywhere near these levels this century, nor in the 1990s. You've got to go back to the early 1980s, the late 1970s. Now, if you're right, Kyle, and this is all COVID-related, and we're going to see CPI going down a half percent a month for the next year, and that's going to put us what? That's going to put us in the fives, fours on CPI. That's still going to be double where we've been the last you know number of years. But in order to do that, the Fed's going to have to keep raising interest rates. And it's going to make money more expensive for everybody, whether you're borrowing, whether at the corporate level, whether at the personal level, the government, think how much more money the government is going to have to pay on its 20 plus trillion dollars in debt. A lot of it that we added here during COVID, that debt has to be flowed. That, ha- that debt has to be refinanced at a higher rate. That means more revenues it's going to take to, to, to finance that debt. Where do those revenues come from? They got to come from taxpayers. So they either, they either got to cut spending to pay the higher interest on the debt or they got to raise taxes to pay the interest on that higher debt. But, yes, but, what, but, but the Fed is just one ingredient to fighting inflation. It's just one ingredient. So we have, Well, there's nothing the government can do about it. The government well, can't do anything I'm about say, it. I'm saying as far as the Fed fighting inflation, yes, they can raise interest rates. They can remove liquidity with letting their balance sheet roll off as their bonds mature, not reinvesting those dollars. But then it's also going to be the combination of the consumer behavior changing, not being so loaded on to the product buying side, moving more to services, traveling, things of that nature. But it's also going to be the loosening the grip on the supply chain constraints. And one of the one of a, a big contributor of that is for China to get out of this zero COVID policy. Now, I'm not holding my breath for that. None of us are holding our breath for that, but it's the, the, the raising interest rates is only one ingredient to this process of bringing inflation down. Now, there's going to be prolonged inflation in energy because we know what the left wants to do with energy. They want us all driving 60, 70, 80,000 EV cars where there's no charging stations to charge them up. But let's not forget, how, how are those power plants fueled again, Jeff? I, oh, that's right. It's all fueled with nuclear power, right? And and sunshine and wind power, right? Oh no, that's right. It's it's hydrocarbons. All right, that so, fuel those so, power plants. So consumers are going to shift. Consumers are going to shift their their buying. It's going to be more of an equal. No, it's a more no, of an no, no, equilibrium. No, hold on, they're going to go more of an goods, equilibrium. They're going to go from goods to services. Well, guess what? Air yes, services have been going up. Airfare is up 33% year over year. That's a service, we'll right? We'll no, no, that's cost. not a service. Um, let me finish the services first. Airfare up 33% year over year. Hotel rooms up 20% year over year. Uh, rental cars up 10% year over year. So if you're going to take a trip and you've been, you've been locked up in your house because of COVID and you're itching to get out, well, here's everything that you're going to get hit if you're going out on a trip this summer. So do I think that people are going to be going on three trips or one trip? I think they're going to be going on one trip. 
It's going to be a marvelous trip at that. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, and I was saying during the commercial break, it's you know, kind of philosophizing here a little bit with the question that you asked as far as how the listeners feel Today versus where we were February of 2020 before we got into the depths of the uh, COVID pandemic. And, you know, I, you know, I know we've gotten away from talking about politics, been a little bit more political on this weekend's Money Wise program. But when you look at just the lack of absolute leadership, and, and I thought the Obama administration would go down as one of the worst and definitely worst GDP growth since Woodrow Wilson of 1.4% for his eight years in the White House. Mm-hmm. But like I've said to you in, in strategy meetings, calling the administration feckless is an insult to the word feckless. And this is something that we're going to have to be dealing with for a couple of more years. Now, we still November, have we still have two more years. But come of this, November, of this administration, yeah, with the, with the worst inflation in forty years, right? That, that and, that's right. And and the geopolitical situation ongoing uh, in Russia. Though I think what's happening in the markets right now, they're not really paying attention to what's happening in Russia, unless it got appreciably worse. In the or, if it got better, or if well, it got better, or if it know, got if better, or if it got better, if it if it got better, a better would be a ceasefire and they exit the country. I mean that that's to me that's better. I, I don't. The, it might generate uh, a couple of days of buying, but in this in this type of environment, you know, this this where investors here these last couple of years, really actually more than a couple of years have been conditioned that buying the dips was was the right strategy. Buy every dip is the right strategy. I don't know that that, that, that strategy, uh, especially if you're looking for a payoff in the next three months or six months, I don't think that strategy is going to work in this environment. Well, I know I, – I- I know the financial talking heads, the one big conversation they've been having this past week is the indications that a base is forming in the market where if you want to start putting some money back to work, albeit slowly, this is kind of the telltale sign. And I don't know if they're going to be getting all, you know, because the big ones were nine to one sell to buy volume and getting the VIX, which is a quote unquote fear gauge at 40 or above. Now, I know Art Cashin, who is probably one of the most senior people that CNBC talks to outside of, um, I can't think of his name. I just had a senior moment myself. Leon Cooperman, 
you know, two of the most senior people they, that they speak to. And I know this past week, that was something that our cash and was looking for to kind of say, you know what, that might be a telltale sign that the bottom for a period of time might be in or a tradable bottom. So we still haven't gotten there. And that's again, another $64,000 question. There is never going to be a bell rung to say the bottom is in it's here. It's, it's safe to start putting some money back to work slowly. There's never going to be that. There's never going to be 100% clarity in the market. As we've always tried to educate on this program is that you have to know what you own. And when we still do portfolio reviews and analysis from prospective clients, and we're still seeing very high allocations of stocks, high concentration in a lot of these big cap tech names, you know, this is concerning specifically if it's a prospective client that is a couple of years out from retiring or right at their retirement, you know, transitioning from their working years into retirement of not knowing what they own and having these high allocations to stocks. You know, as we've always preached on this program, it's about proper balance. It's about security selection. It's it's about asset allocation. Active management is absolutely key. You know, absolutely key. And that's, you know, I can tell you we have been extremely busy, as we've discussed on this program. And, Jeff, you mentioned it in the first segment this past week. You know, we reduced eight more positions in our portfolio, all of them profitable. We didn't wholesale get rid of all of those eight names. We did get rid of one uh, name in particular, wholesale, got out of the position. But out of these of the other eight stocks, we cut them in half. We took profits that we had very high profits in, and we've been taking profits, as we say, each and every year. We're constantly scraping profits, but we wanted to again continue to reduce our price earning exposure in our overall stock portfolio and sitting right around in our moderate allocation around the same allocation we were in the depths of the COVID pandemic, right around a forty percent stock allocation. Yeah, I just it all comes back to me to to valuation and the S&P 500 right now is in is for all its purposes about in the 20s. Low 20s in terms of PE ratio. And the historic average is in the uh, is in the mid teens, somewhere between 15 and 16. And that goes back all the way to the beginning of the S&P, which I think was in the mid-1950s. So we've got you know 70-year history of PEs in the S&P, you know, on average in the, in the 15s and 16s. And if I was to, to tell, and I'm going to go ahead and just say these numbers, I don't mean to scare anybody. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to point out where PE ratios were the last time we had interest rates, pardon me, inflation rates uh, as high as they are today. And I'm talking about 74, 75, you know, basically the, the time period between the bear market of 74 to, say, the 1980s. Uh, most of those price-to-earnings ratios were single, were, were 8, 9, 10s, and 11. 8 times earnings to 11 times earnings during that time period. And interest rates were much higher than they are today. And inflation rates, though, in some years were a little bit higher. In some years, they were about where they were today. Now, I'm not saying we're going back to these single-digit PEs, but I'm just saying 
that to me we haven't, in my opinion, reached what I think is a longer-term investable valuation for the market given the current economic backdrop and the expectations for interest rates and the direction of inflation between six and 12 months out. And if you're in a position to where you're not exactly sure and knowing what you own in your portfolio, haven't had a second opinion from actual portfolio managers and not financial salespeople, then you need to give us a call in our office at 800 275 2162 to get your portfolio review and analysis done by your money wise guys. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's money wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to money wise with Davidson capital management money wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are heading into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, now, as we utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education and wanted to go into a topic that we haven't talked about in quite some time, um, it seems that a lot of our educational segments we talk to we talk to our listeners about the accumulation and the saving side of retirement and, and getting to that uh, retirement red zone but we we seldom discuss what happens once you're in retirement and and really more importantly and f- more focused on how do you spend in retirement and the appropriate level of spending in retirement to make sure that your retirement nest egg lasts a lifetime. And there was an article, Dad, that you found from MarketWatch in the Wall Street Journal, and it really spurred us into saying to ourselves, you know what, we need to talk about this because I don't think we've covered it enough on this program. I, I think some of our listeners are currently in retirement or right on the verge of going into retirement, and there would be a very solid topic to go into so our listeners can start doing their own planning and what i what i call it when i work with our clients or prospective clients i call it financial road mapping that's just the the name i've given it uh, myself 
as far as what we do for our current clients, for prospective clients as they're transitioning into retirement, just to give them an idea of this is your nest egg, this is what you're projected to need to take out on a monthly basis and on an annual basis, and this is what can happen to your assets as you go through retirement. But there was a survey that was done in this article, and the title of the article is The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. And this article really kind of goes in two different directions. It, it kind of it, it goes into the direction of retirees not really spending hardly anything of their retirement nest egg because they're terrified to spend well, a single dollar. They're concerned about outliving their money. They're concerned about that. But then there's the other side of the coin of retirees going, I don't want to use the word nuts, but spending a little bit more than they should and actually upsizing and because – Again, looking at a sizable amount of assets, let's say you retire, you've accumulated a million, $1.5 million, $2 million, that it gives them a sense of security that, hey, I can go from a 1,000-square-foot house, I want to build me a new 3,500-square-foot house in retirement because I have all of these assets, and not realizing what kind of significant impact that can make on their nest egg. And so there was a survey done uh, back in February, and they found that not only are some retirees not downsizing, but 30% of these retirees that they surveyed have actually upsized their lifestyle and have upsized I mean, that's a surprising their, their number. Their, 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 and have it? upsized their homes and their lifestyle. I was quite surprised seeing a 30% increase. Now, granted, this is their sample size. It's not a huge sample size. But, again, it's an interesting statistic that 30% of these retirees were upsizing um, as they go, as they moved into retirement. And I know that if any of our listeners went to a financial planner, went to a financial salesman and said, okay, here's here's my nest egg. I want to start drawing assets off of it to live in retirement. How much should I be pulling out? And it seems that the rule of thumb in the brokerage community and the financial planning community has always been a 4% rule. To be not taking out more than 4% of the total value of your portfolio on an annual basis. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, being that we're in our 26th year of business, we have a little bit different experience because we have proof of our management philosophy and how it is performed in good markets, bad markets, higher interest rate environments, and, and of course, the horribly low interest rate environment we're currently in. And we have found that you know, our clients have been able to average between a 6 and 7% withdrawal rate on an annual basis and not encroach on their principal assets they invested with us over the lifetime of the account. And we utilize client number one that's been with us 26-plus years and what they've been able to withdraw from their account and have not only taken out more than they originally invested with us, but actually have more in their account than what they originally invested with us. So we know that our philosophy works because we have proof. We have the numbers to prove it. Um, but that 4% rule has been used by the financial service industry for many, many years. But now, because of the extremely low interest rate environment, some of some folks in the financial service industry are now changing that withdrawal rate to between 2 and 3%. I mean, that's just that's insane, really. That is low. Well, in our opinion, 
the way we viewed this, this the four percent rule as as you talked about Kyle being used by our competitors and on Wall Street, we've kind of looked at it as they're trying to keep the bar as low for themselves as possible. Uh, that way, they can charge higher fees, sell their products that have loads, uh, you know, sales charges attached to them, and and still meet their four percent maximum rate of withdrawal. Uh, target that they tell their clients that they want what they want their clients to stick to. So we the, by taking it down to two or three percent maximum withdrawal rate per year, that's lowering the bar even more than what was what we what we thought was a pre was a low bar to begin with with a four percent rule. Right. So if you're if you if you got a client that's got a million dollars. And you're telling, well, you can only withdraw 2% a year. That's $20,000. Well, think about this. I mean, if you put it in the government bonds, 10-year bonds right now, exactly. you, you don't need any of this. You can get right at 2%. Exactly. So you don't, you don't need to go to Wall Street to get a 2% withdrawal rate. I mean, you can do that on your own dealing direct with the Federal Reserve. So that that's absurd. That's, what I said. that's insane. That's insane. Well, they're they're tr- I guess they're trying to cost themselves all the trailing commissions that Dad, you and I talked about on last weekend's show. They're they're trying to cost themselves a lot of commissions because, like you said, you can go directly to the treasury and buy government bonds, which is a guaranteed rate of return, the only guaranteed rate of return on Wall Street to generate that withdrawal yeah, to, rate of two to one percent. Whether it's two, three, or four percent, in my opinion, this looks like a revenue enhancement to. Uh, Policy by Wall Street. Okay, well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our investor education and it's an uh, and it comes from an article the surprising amount retirees spend and we're talking about spending in retirement and some of the rules of thumb that we utilize with our clients at Davidson Capital Management, uh, but also just some tips for pre-retirees so they can do a quick determination with very simple calculations of whether or not they're potentially ready for retirement and kind of hop on that proverbial horse and riding off into the sunset, and some things that they can do and utilize some free calculators uh, that are online for them to do some of their at-home at calculations. Now, getting back to this article, there's a financial research firm. Uh, I, I love the name of it. It's called Hearts and Wallets. <laughs> <laughs> this this research firm, they surveyed uh, a little bit over 1,200 households age 65 and older that had assets of more than $100,000. And the research, researchers found that only 12% uh, or I shouldn't say only, they found out that 12% took out over twice the 4% rule, closer to a 9% withdrawal rate per year, but they also found that 28% withdrew less than 1%. And some of these 
folks surveyed didn't remove any assets at all from their retirement assets. Now, I would be assuming that these folks either have, A, taxable assets and outside accounts, because most likely they would be asking if it's IRAs or pensions or what have you, or they have traditional defined benefit plans and getting their pension payment. They decided not to take the cash lump sum option, which is what we recommend to any retiree at Davidson Capital Management to take that lump sum distribution from your pension so you gain control of those assets, or their lifestyle is so modest that their Social Security payments are more than covering their daily living expenses. I mean, that's that's the only thing I was able to take away from this survey of over 1,200 households that were surveyed. but, you know, one thing that, that was interesting that came out of this article that really spurred us to want to talk about this is this mentality of chunks or nothing. And that means retirees going into their IRA accounts, going into their retirement accounts, and taking a chunk of money out at a particular period of time as opposed to spreading those payments out over a monthly basis. And I wanted to talk about this because... Being in business 26 years, we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management where you know, we recommend that if you're going to be living off of your assets in retirement to set up really kind of your own annuity. And I hate to even use the word annuity, <laughs> but I have to let all of our listeners know the definition of the word annuity means a periodic stream of payments. That's what annuity means. Well, you can create your own annuity through an IRA without actually having to go and buy an annuity, and you do that by setting up a particular dollar amount that you're going to be withdrawing on a monthly basis from your retirement nest egg to live off of in retirement. And this is what we would recommend to Davidson Capital Management as opposed to taking chunks out. And the reason why we recommend not taking chunks of assets out are for a couple of reasons. First off, when you say, okay, I need $15,000 out of my account, and then four or five months later, I need $20,000 out of my account, and then a couple months later, you take another 10000 out, you get to the end of the year, you kind of forget the chunks of assets you took out earlier in the year. And so when you add up the total amount of withdrawals that you took, a lot of times you'll find out that you were violating, again, a at our at our firm, the six to seven percent withdrawal rate rule, where you're part of this group that's taking out nine, ten, eleven percent of your investable net worth well, by well, by taking it in chunks. But the other reason why we don't recommend doing this is you save for retirement typically through dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in a four hundred one k, you're dollar cost averaging into the market. It's also wise to dollar cost average out of the market because if you time the withdrawal of a big chunk of assets at the wrong time, it could wind up costing you at the end of the year when it comes down to your total performance return and growth of those assets. And I, An example that I like to use is think of your retirement nest egg like a golden goose. And that golden goose produces golden eggs, and those golden eggs are capital appreciation, dividend income, interest income. You want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible to create the biggest golden eggs it possibly can. But if you're going in and taking large chunks of that golden goose out, then you start 
of course, leaking into the issue of the law of large numbers, meaning you want to keep your number, your retirement nest egg, as big as possible, as long as possible. So instead of taking $10,000 out, let's say you have to take $50,000 out a year. You know, Why don't you take $4,000 out a month as opposed to taking $15,000 out every quarter, You know, doing it that way? Uh, so bottom line is, is our recommendation is to dollar cost average assets out of your retirement nest egg as opposed to taking chunks at one time. The other thing we run into is that we'll see situations where um, clients don't give us the heads up when they're getting ready to need a chunk withdrawal, and it really affects what a manager is doing with the money if he's not Total. It's if you know money's coming out every month, you can also plan as a portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. When you do the chunk withdrawals, it can force sales that you don't want to make, and it may not come at the right time. That's I mean, right. I mean, you're you're affecting the return in your portfolio based on that chunk. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have taken a chunk out in early March of 2000, that'd have been a whole lot better than taking a chunk out. In October of 2000. But it averages out. That's true, but it averages out over the life of the but account. But if it's a large enough chunk, you start, I mean, when we know you start taking out more than 7% a year. You run the risk. You're going to be, you're going to be running out of money. I mean, depending on how many years this goes on. I mean, we know this. I mean, it's not something we have to study. 25 years plus seeing this, and we've had some wild and woolly markets since 1989, and we're going to have wild and woolly markets for the next 25 years. And so you start doing that, and you are going to run out of money. And, And I would say, and Jeff and I have been here long enough, we have seen people run through retirement accounts in a very short period of time, run through inheritances. It happens time and time again. And we will counsel these people and explain to them what's going to happen. But it seems like once it starts, they can't seem to stop it. Yeah. It's it's like hitting an artery that you you can't stop the bleeding. And it isn't. I mean, it's their money. We <laughs> are there to work for them. But we're also there to counsel. And we will tell, you know, you are going to see this money disappear a lot of the time when we see people taking chunks out of their retirement accounts uh they are more times than not uh purchases that they shouldn't be making um i've had to advise many times for folks they want to pay off their mortgage the first thing that happens is they retire and they have a seven-figure Retirement, and the very first thing they want to do is they want to get totally debt free, and they want to pay off their house, they want to pay off their cars, they want to pay off their credit cards. You know, some of these things we should have been planned ahead of time to have them paid off before you reach retirement. Maybe not necessarily the house, but by taking all these chunks now and converting them to assets that are appreciating at a lower rate or appreciating it. No, re- you know, or depreciating, like you know, paying like off a, a car or like a vehicle. Uh, that that that's a real problem. We've also had to counsel folks many times that are, and I'm going to use the term "quote unquote" retiring because they're not actually retiring; they're changing careers, and they go in and raid their retirement nest eggs in order to change careers. And I've had several situations where clients would 
take out 50 or 60% of their money or more to start a new business, change careers, and the, the, the problem that we have as, as long-term planners uh, of, of retirement nest eggs is that is this new endeavor going to replace this money that you're taking out in a short period of time? If you change careers at 50 years old, you know, and you're 10, 12 years away from retirement, and you take a million-dollar portfolio down to $500,000, are you going to be able to replace that $500,000 in 10 years in this new endeavor to restore your retirement back to where it was before? That's a that's a that's a question that I that any that I've had to pose to several people who did end up taking all the money, and in many in several cases we've had you know one that completely went through their entire retirement nest egg uh, in this new business endeavor, and that's not a good thing. We wouldn't recommend funding a new business endeavor with your retirement nest egg. No. You should go out and and find other forms of financing, and if you can't get it. Maybe you shouldn't be going into that business venture. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so continuing our education of about retirement spending and, and really this whole conversation spurred by an article titled The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend. We've only got into a little bit of the article because we deal with this on a weekly basis at Davidson Capital Management, so we're really discussing our own personal experiences with our client base and just rules of thumb that we use as an investment advisor and also just some tips uh, for our listeners to utilize in getting prepared for retirement and to make sure that you don't outlive your assets. And one thing, Jeff, you were talking about, folks going into retirement wanting to pay off their cars, wanting to pay off their credit cards, wanting to pay off their house because they don't want to have any bills coming in. Right. And I think the the key there is is that the retirement planning process shouldn't begin the year before you're going to retire. The retirement planning process should be starting many years, you know, 3 years before. So that you if 3 years before you're planning on retiring, you have these credit cards and this car payment and this house payment, then the planning should start three years before. Well, we need to get the credit cards paid off because they're typically they're typically at much higher interest rates. You know, the cars. Well, that's a what are the rates the cars are at? That's you right. Know, if if you bought them here recently, uh, the their interest rates should be pretty low and probably wouldn't be advisable to pay them off uh, with retirement assets. You know, if their interest rates are really low. But because one thing that retirees forget is as you pull assets out of the IRA, they're fully taxable as ordinary income. So now you're paying taxes 
on this withdrawal to pay off this vehicle or to buy whatever. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's nice that you're paying it off, but you're having to pay taxes on that withdrawal. And and the thing that that we discuss here in the office is, well, look at the interest rate. Because we, we get it. We understand. Folks don't like to pay bills. No one likes to pay bills. They don't want to make that car payment on a monthly basis. They don't want to make that mortgage payment on a monthly basis. We get it. But you have to take a look at what is my interest rate? What am I paying? If I have a car note at, say, 2.5%, you want to continue to finance that. I know Jeff and I get this question all the time. Should I be paying cash for a new vehicle? Well, what's the interest rate? Well, it's three and a half percent no don't pay cash for it because just utilizing our our asset builder our moderate allocation our asset builder our goal return for that account over the lifetime of that account is seven percent so i use seven percent as the rule of thumb if the interest rate is below seven percent you finance it if the interest rate is above seven percent okay we can discuss paying cash for it because it Again, you want to keep that golden goose as large as possible, as long as possible, to take advantage of compound interest and the law of large numbers. The other thing about removing money from your retirement nest egg, especially if it's an IRA, to pay off bills is that the income taxes you have to pay. That's right. And, and, and if you don't have cash available to pay those income taxes, where do you have to rate again? To right. pay for those income taxes, so, your IRA again, so it's an ongoing cycle. So if you take, say, a $20,000 car loan at 3%, and you take that $20,000 out of your retirement nest egg, you're giving up $20,000 that, under our philosophy over the long term, might earn an estimated 7% to pay off a 3% loan. So that's 4% on $20,000. You know, four percent on twenty thousand dollars, I believe, is eight hundred dollars. If my member, if my math is correct, uh, per year, per year, exactly. And then on top of that, let's say you're in a fifteen percent tax bracket, and you take that twenty thousand dollars out. Well, now you're looking at uh, was that three thousand dollars in, in income taxes? Is you're going to have to pay pulling that money out? So you're giving up. $800 a year in additional income compounded and a $3,000 tax bill in a 15% tax bracket just to pay off a $20,000 car loan at 3%. Well, imagine how that works out if you want to expand it out to paying off a house. It can, you know, it can cost let's say you it's a lot. A couple of hundred thousand dollar house and at a 4% interest rate. You know that those are, those run into some really big numbers. I mean, the taxes alone. You know, if it was two hundred thousand dollars, you might you get hit with a twenty plus percent tax bill. That's forty thousand dollars in taxes. Now, now talking about vehicle purchases or talking about homes, like you were talking about earlier, Jeff. If if you have several credit cards all carrying balances at a high interest rate. You really need to get those paid off before you even contemplate going into retirement. I mean, you really need to have consumer debt from the credit card standpoint, that financial house in order before you go into retirement. As I say to prospective clients or current clients, if you have a car note at a low interest rate, that's fine going into retirement. You have a mortgage payment at a low interest rate going into retirement, that's fine. But any consumer debt, you really want to have that paid off. 
before you go into retirement because of all the reasons we were just explaining. You don't want to retire and have to pull out $75,000 to pay off credit card debt because now, here you go again, you're having to pay tax on that distribution to pay these credit cards off. So if you find yourself thinking about retirement and you're sitting on $20,000, $25,000 in credit card debt, you need to focus on paying off that debt first so you don't find yourself in a situation where you go and you retire and now you're having to pull out 8, 9, 10% a year out of your retirement nest egg to keep up with all of these bills. But how do you figure out how much do I need in retirement? Now, I will tell you this. If we all knew when the last day on earth was going to be for each and every one of us, boy, retirement planning would be so simple. It would be so easy. But unfortunately, no one knows when their last day on earth is going to be. So you always have to prepare the oldest saying in the book, prepare for a rainy day. So what you need to do and what we recommend is if you want to maintain your lifestyle, as as I say to prospective clients, if you're used to eating steak – three times a week, don't think that once you go into retirement, you're going to be eating PB&J and rice and beans three times a week instead of steak. So we recommend to take 12 months of your spending and average them out. Add up 12 months. And if you haven't If you don't keep good records and you're thinking about retirement, you need to start keeping a record every month of what you're spending for your cell phone, your electricity, your water, your entertainment, food, all of your expenses. You add up 12 months, divided by 12, you get your average. And once you have that average, you multiply by 12 again. That is your withdrawal rate per year that you need to take out in order to maintain that lifestyle. Now, if that dollar amount divided by how much you've saved is greater, that withdrawal rate is greater than, say, 7%, then you need to either, A, lower your living expenses somehow, or, B, you need to work longer and you need to save more. And, again, there's financial calculators. There's a website called financialcalculators.com. I absolutely love this website. You can utilize it for free. It has so many calculators and so many different consumer finance and retirement planning arenas, it will blow your mind. And And it's a website that I use very, very often. In fact, I used it today. So utilize financialcalculators.com, but you need to sit down and do this work. Don't just go into retirement blindly and figure out what you're going to need to be spending on a monthly basis, and that's what we would recommend is taking monthly withdrawals, not chunks. You have to get out of the chunk mentality. And we understand emergencies arise where you do have to tap in more than than what you are taking out on a monthly basis. We get that, but don't make it a habit. I was going to say the the key to managing retirement assets, to me, comes down to one word, flexibility. Absolutely. And flexibility means that your retirement assets are not invested in instruments that... Take that away. Yeah, that that reduce your ability to withdraw if an unforeseen event comes comes you know happens, and I'm kind of laying this at the feet of non-publicly traded 
REITs or private placements or annuities of all different kinds. Or even taking a defined benefit payment from a traditional pension. That would be something else, right. taking a traditional roll, pension. Yeah, roll, instead of taking the lump sum, you roll. You just go on and say, I'm going to take the pension, and that's it. Because once you lock yourself in to taking that pension payment, you're done. You, you, that's, the, that's it. You're only getting that amount of money for the rest of your life, for the rest of your life and your spouse's life. And then once those two exp- typically... Once, once, if you choose the right, the, the particular option where you get you get a pension payment for your lifetime, and your wife gets a pension payment for her lifetime, there's no other assets going to the uh, estate, and it's not those payments are not adjusted for inflation. So every month that goes by, that pension payment is buying less, and they're also not guaranteed. That's right. No matter how strong the corporation is. And I know the the refinery businesses here in the Corpus Christi area are very good at taking care of their employees. I mean, we've seen it firsthand. But there are no guarantees in life. And when you have your pension and you're taking those pension payments, and if that pension goes insolvent, very bad things can happen. And we'll talk about that when we come back from our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, in our last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program, uh, before we went to break, Jeff was talking about maintaining flexibility in retirement. And I was talking about taking pension payments. And we were talking about solvency of pensions. The one thing that each and every one of our listeners needs to understand is that there is no such thing as a guaranteed pension from any corporation. I mean, corporations have gone out of business all the time. I mean, I think of WorldCom. I think of Enron. There's other corporations that have gone out of business. The airline, a lot of airline industry or a lot of companies in the airline industry have gone out of business. The reason why we recommend taking a lump sum distribution, if it's available, in your pension, or if you have, if you're lucky enough to still have a defined benefit or pension plan from your employer, the reason why we recommend to take that cash lump sum payout is to be able to maintain that flexibility in retirement and not rely on your former employer to be making those monthly payments to you because you have to understand those monthly pension payments are not hedged are not adjusted for monetary inflation. So what buys you uh, in 2015 is going to buy you a heck of a lot less the payment, the same payment you're getting in 2020 or in 2030. So that's the reason why you want to take that lump sum to have that flexibility and also to have access to those assets in case you do run into an emergency or want to be spending a little bit more that you can afford to spend a little bit more than what your pension payment uh, you're receiving is going to amount to. But the other reason is that if a pension goes insolvent, it gets turned over to the PBGC, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, 
And the thing you have to understand is the PBGC has multi-billion dollars of unfunded pension liabilities, and they have a cap set on the maximum amount a pension recipient can receive on a monthly basis. And so if you were lucky enough to be receiving a very sizable, say, a four or $5,000 a month pension payment, well, last I checked, which is it's been a, it's been a while since I've checked, but if memory serves me correct, the PBGC's maximum monthly payout is less than $3,000 a month. So if you're receiving a four or $5,000 monthly pension payment, and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC. Yeah, you just sliced. You just sliced your. Regardless pension of how much you're receiving a month, you're going to get less. Yeah, you're going to get less. That's right. And something else that we've talked about on past shows: some horror stories concerning these pension payouts. And I've read this right out of the Wall Street Journal: is the actuarial firms crunching the numbers have run into situations where they find out that a pension has been overpaying pension recipients for years and years and years and one day a pension recipient goes to the mailbox receives a letter stating oh we've overpaid you over the last 10 years $150,000 you need to pay that back to us immediately or we're going to cut your pension benefit in half until we recoup that that overpayment it's rare it's rare it's very rare but it happens one thing that struck me was was this um, that was on page two of the and come, going back to the article, uh, and the article titled, let me get back to the title, The Surprising Amount Retirees Spend, um, the roadmap for policymakers and Americans' view of the retirement crisis from the National Institute of Retirement Security found that in a survey of 801 Americans, 67% said that they'd be willing to take less in salary increases today today in exchange for guaranteed income in retirement. And again, this goes right this is laid right to the feet of this pension benefit, this the secure the secure feeling you get from receiving that monthly check from a pension or from an annuity, and unfortunately, these payments are not adjusted for monetary inflation. And we constantly talk about monetary inflation on the Money Wise program because not enough folks in the financial service industry are talking about it. Monetary inflation is the silent killer to the value of your retirement nest egg. Well, what, what I see here, when I see people wanting to take less salary today for this Guaranteed amount quote, of money, quote unquote, guaranteed in the future. And the one thing you don't want to do is whatever that payment you're getting at age sixty-five or sixty-six, you're not going to like it at age seventy-eight, seventy-nine. I, I I will guarantee you that. Oh, you're using the G. Yeah, word. yeah, that's the guarantee. The guarantee is you're, you're not, not going to like it. You're not going to like that amount of money ten years down the road. The one thing I'm, you know, I'm only seventy. I'm not. I'm not. You know, I, I'm not. Retired, retired. But the one thing that Jeff said that is is the most important word is that flexibility. You cannot give up flexibility. And here's people saying, oh, if you just pay me less money today. I'm, I'm willing to get, take less know, money try, and give up flexibility. And give up flexibility. No. No. I mean, this, this but is. But that's fear talking, Dad. See, right. that's the thing. This is fear. These 67% of these 801 people surveyed. This is fear. This is the 67% that the annuity community focuses on. That's right. These are the fearful people that we've talked about 
last year on a show, the Dalbar study of overly emotional investors constantly remembering their losses and their failures and not remembering their victories. And because of the 24-hour news cycle, because of the volatility that's here to stay on Wall Street, it's never going away. And I don't think it's ever going to get any better. You know what I would like to do if I was retiring, if I thought in terms of guaranteed, create a laddered government bond portfolio knowing that interest rates are going up in the future and that guaranteed amount is going to be going up in the future. And guaranteed by the federal government. Instead of taking salary increases in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement, how about they keep the same salary but contribute more to their 401ks and build up their 401k nest eggs and stop being so fearful about day-to-day movements in the stock markets or what this pundit is saying and that pundit is saying and just pay yourself more in, in, in accumulating retirement assets now because taking a, accepting a lower salary for, in exchange for a guaranteed income in retirement that's baloney. The, the, what it's, it's just never that this guaranteed income in retirement is not going to be enough to fund a, comfort, a comfortable retirement, retirement for, for most people. It's just not. So, so pay yourself first now with your increased salary by contributing more to your 401ks and have some money in stocks and have some money in bonds and have some money in cash, but don't have it all in bonds and cash because you're never going to beat monetary inflation over the long term if you're not willing to take a little bit of risk now. And if any of our listeners would like to have a deeper powwow concerning their particular financial situation, you can reach us in our office on Monday at 906 906- Zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two, and with that, from my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying, "Have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health." We will talk to you next week.